Geico presents, uh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven and all of the burners? <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Contour from Cox has all your favorites, all in one place. And with the Contour Remote, you can use your voice to find them on live TV, on demand, and streaming apps like Netflix, Prime Video, and more. See Cox.com for details. Today's show is brought to you by Lola. Lola gives women peace of mind about what they're putting in their bodies. Lola products are 100% hypoallergenic cotton tampons with no additives, synthetics, chemicals, or dyes. Get $5 off your first month at www.trymylola.com slash babes. From I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Nap. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. Welcome to our thesis series part deuce. Is that how you say that? This is our second episode in our thesis series where we talk about things that are kind of related to our theses. This is our second episode in our thesis series where we talk about our theses. That was, was very, very NPR. NPR. Yeah. <laughs> very NPR. Over okay. Well, um, okay, Ira Glass. I was about to be like, this is NPR, and I'm Ira Glass. <laughs> Can um, anyone name anyone else from NPR? Yeah, I don't know anyone else Ira from Glass. Isn't, um, isn't Serial NPR? Yes. So, well, oh, is that Sarah Shana? Koenig. Who's a Beth Rougiac or something? Oh, maybe you're right. Koenig. Koenig. And then... And Hannah, then S-Town. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one. Oh. S-Town's related to NPR, too. I forget Lula that Miller's name. Oh, yeah, you guys know some Elise people. Spiegel. I literally only know Oh, you're killing it. killing it. What's the one? Watch them be from a different <laughs> I know. Everyone's like, that's actually the BBC. <laughs> because I'm obsessed with Invisibilia. I Invisibilia's so I haven't started good. listening to it yet, but I'm ready. The Emotion series is, like, unbelievable. So I've been really trying to not just blast music while I'm in the car. I'm trying to listen to more talk radio, listening to more NPR. And I don't know what my luck is, but I swear to God, every time I put on NPR, I end up hearing a story about someone with, like, terminal cancer. And then I'm I'm just sitting in the car just thinking about cancer and it just kind of ruins my whole day because then I just start sort of touching my body and being like what if I have cancer and like I just get all freaked out and it happened to me today I on purpose was listening to NPR and then they just started talking about this lady with terminal colon cancer and I was like oh my god that sounds just so horrible I don't know I just have bad luck on the other end of the spectrum, you could end up with, like, car talk. Yeah. You ever listen to uh, car talk? I've heard, like, snippets. My grandma loves car oh, talk. Boy. And she's, like, not into cars at all. She just, like, really enjoys listening to car talk. I just like, like two guys, like, I, talking about cars. I freak out over a Science Friday, whenever it's Science, science Friday. Friday. I'm so just good. like, yeah. 
us. So maybe I'll just start listening to NPR on Friday. Or but <laughs> listen to the NPR-related podcasts, like Invisibilia yes. and That's stuff. See, those are the yeah. ones that I just look up so that I'm not, yeah. like, in the car, like, hearing about it again. Not that, I mean, Invisibilia can get pretty deep, like, really deep. Yeah. But it's good. That it's one of so their good. episodes this season does get pretty dark. But... Mm. Well, this episode is about to get kind of dark. Um, (laughs) So. (laughs) What are you going to talk about, Jen? (laughs) Well, as you know, uh, we all wrote a thesis and I wrote one too. And um, I tend to have a a penchant for all things um, semi-macabre and, um, you know, gruesome and and, uh, etc. So um, I wrote my thesis on sort of a dual part uh, subject matter. Well, tripart maybe. But what really drew me into this topic was observing the work of the artist Enrique Chagoya, who some of you may have heard of. He was born in 1953 in Mexico City. Um, He is a Mexican artist. He has lived a good chunk of his life in the United States, though. He came to the U.S. in 1977, and um, he earned his BFA at the San Francisco Art Institute in 1984. Then he got his MFA at UC Berkeley in 1987, and now he is a boss and is a professor at Stanford University in the Fine Arts Department. So he has a pretty impressive CV. And on top of um, being an overall badass professionally, academically, um, he's also a very prolific um, artist and printmaker. So I was drawn to his work in community college. And the work that drew me in was from 1944, this painting called The Governor's Nightmare. If you've never seen it, uh, I'll post pictures. It's um, so good. It's so good, you guys. It is. So, you know, look it up. This is 1994. Shigoya is living in California. And um, I don't know, really, our listener age. Some of you may be too young to remember that during this time, California had a lovely governor named Pete Wilson, who was a huge xenophobe and um, tried to instate many anti-immigrant policies in government. And that was a big draw that um, people wanted to vote for him because he said he was going to instill English-only programs in public schools and cut health care to immigrants that were here. And so basically, he was very anti-immigrant and anti-Mexican and anti-speaking Spanish. And this, this was a rough time to be a, uh, a Mexican from Mexico in California, um, undocumented. It was an even more rough time. And Enrique Chagoya decided to paint this large-scale work. It depicts an image of Pete Wilson dismembered with his head on a plate, his leg and his arm and other body parts on other plates, and he's being feasted upon by Aztec peoples. And they're portrayed in the same sort of um, iconography, the same kind of style that you would see in an Aztec codex. So what a codex is, is essentially a big book. 
And the Aztec codices were these huge books that were made out of this bark paper um, that was made from the amate tree. It's a fig bark paper. And um, so these were large manuscripts that would fold up sort of accordion style. And they were usually would depict rituals or crop cycles, religious texts, astronomical texts, pretty much whatever you can think of. They have a very specific look about them. And so Shigoya appropriates an image out of the Codex Maglia Bicchiano, um, which, side note, all of these codexes that exist today that are in the hands of usually the Vatican or some exist in this um, uh, large French library, the National French Library, there are, I don't know if there's any of them in Mexico, actually. Really? And, uh, I think there's like a couple or they exist in Mexico in facsimile, so they're actually not even, like, the originals. Whoa. So these um, ancient books, of which there are very few left, are all over the world, mostly in Europe. These books were usually named after the European explorer slash colonizer who either paid to commission them from an, an indigenous scribe or somehow was involved in either discovering it or what have you. So most of the ones that exist, if not almost all of them, exist post-contact. So when Europeans arrived to Mexico, for instance, one of the very first acts of colonial violence against indigenous peoples was the large-scale burning of um, their libraries. And so we're talking like thousands and thousands of books were burned and destroyed. And these acts were so heinous to indigenous peoples that there's one such instance of a large scale burning that resulted in a huge mass uh, suicide. And so these, these indigenous people were throwing themselves off of pyramids and hanging themselves on trees. And it's all recorded in a codex that was commissioned after this act. And so um, Spanish peoples that came over were like, oh, my God, this is insane. We got to record this. And um, so we know about this act because after these books were destroyed, Spanish colonizers would then commission books to be made in the same style by the same indigenous scribes. However, now it's under coercion. Mm. So so it's a, a different viewpoint of the same situation. So there's yeah. a lot of um, layers of stuff going on here. So since the native languages and writing systems of these people were altogether destroyed and everything that we know that exists was made post contact with Europeans, it's hard for us to know what is real. And so a big part of why I'm talking about this work, The Governor's Nightmare, is because Shigoya takes this um, pretty much the exact scene out of this codex and reproduces it in his painting. And it shows this image of cannibalism occurring among um, the Aztec. 
this image has since been taken as fact. And so there's this huge debate among anthropologists. Did cannibalism occur? If it did occur, how often did it occur? Did it occur only ceremoniously? Were they eating each other because they lacked proper sources of protein? Were they eating each other as acts of war, <clears throat> violence? Was this um, for religious purposes? And so the topic of cannibalism is so spicy among, <laughs> among archaeologists. Great word. It's, yeah, because, um, because let's just face it, we as a culture are at once fascinated and horrified by the act of eating that which is us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is so just terrifying. It's so taboo. All across the world, there's this kind of consensus that you don't do that, okay? And so... Civilized people don't do that is the... And it's weird because there are a lot of animals that engage in cannibalism. Mm -hmm. like yeah. It's very common in the natural world, but yeah. yet, yeah, we've created this... Gotta survive, like the Donner Party. I was gonna yeah. say, you gotta respect the Donner Party. However you feel about cannibalism. I know, you gotta get by. I mean, right? come on. Like, survival at shit. You know, <laughs> side note, I would totally eat a person if I was starving to death. I'm yeah, sorry for real. if that's I cannot speak weird. for myself at starving to death, because I get hungry after a few hours of not eating. <laughs> I'm hungry right now, and I've been eating baby carrots yeah. for, like, the last, like, hour. Pescatarian, I wouldn't want to think I'd eat a person, but yeah, really like, and I I know I've talked about this on that on the podcast before because of that cannibal exhibit I went to in San Diego, which is still going Crazy. on, by the way. I need to get down there. If you're in San Diego, the Museum of Man. I'm going next month. I'm gonna. You go. need to go. It, the Museum it of so Man pictures. has an amazing exhibit about cannibalism. It's still going. Um, so check it out. And it basically, it's such a good exhibit because it really makes you think about these these infamous instances of cannibalism in human history, basically. And it really makes you think about the situation. And and I think it, it approaches the idea both as like this cultural phenomenon, but also as just a situation that needs to be looked at somewhat objectively, you know? Not necessarily in a scary way. And when you, yeah, when you think about being part of the Donner Party, like, at the end of the day, like, if we were the Donner Party, the four of us were the Donner Party, and I died, I would hope you guys would eat me. I would, like, yeah, sure. That's a good way to say it, too. I would hope you, you would, would eat me. do, but yeah, it's on the table. <laughs> yeah, it's like, edible. Why, yeah, exactly. Why would he I'm edible. Your forearm is the most tender place, just so you guys know. I heard the cheek is tasty. <laughs> Oh, like the forearm's good to know because technically maybe we could try and all live and just each give up an arm at a time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, I would give up an arm for you guys. Right? Okay. Anyways, cannibalism's Jimmy, complicated. So <laughs> okay. So as you can see, this is such a, um, it's just, you, if you're ever at a party and everyone's just bored and you can't think of anything to talk about, you can't know where you're going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's just not knowing where you're going. It's just party and you're bored. It's someone's yeah. <laughs> It's just a cheek. It's something that people are fascinated and repulsed by. We see it in our popular culture horror movies, zombies, all right? We've been watching zombies, The Walking Dead man. for how long? <laughs> like, it is a 
cultural phenomenon and, or, yeah, phenomenon. I always get confused. Phenomena? Phenomenon. Phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Just say it so fast. I know. There you go. Um, so, back to this. So, the point of all of this is that there is just this debate. We don't know. But we can safely assume that, yes, it happened. It happened. We don't know how often it happened. There are estimates that over 100,000 people would be ceremoniously sacrificed by the Aztec every year and that they um, presumably cannibalized a certain amount of those people. Others say that number is crazy. There's no way that there was 16 million people in Mesoamerica and the Aztec as one group in this Central American area were cannibalizing 100,000 people. So the numbers are uh, debatable, and um, and this is an issue for historians. So if you're a historian of Mesoamerica and you study the codices, it is very difficult for us to understand this culture and their practices because almost everything that we have that exists was made under the eye of Spanish colonizers. With that in mind, Enrique Chagoya uses this cannibal motif in his work in a really interesting way. So he has utilized, so you know, he really started experimenting with this idea of cannibalism around the early 90s. He made these large-scale paintings, so the Governor's Nightmare, look that one up. Um, it's kind of cute. There's the Aztec <laughs> Lord of the Dead is about to eat Mickey Mouse on a plate with like some chilies on it and um, it's really sweet. Um, Mickey Mouse is sort of his symbol for American um, corporate interests. So he kind of inserts Mickey, Mickey's glove, um, other Disney characters uh, make their uh, appearances in his work often. He likes to play with different iconography. So he's not only borrowing from Aztec codices, but he's also borrowing from um, these 16th century travel narratives that were some of the first sort of uh, images that came out of the New World that were European made. So when Europeans arrived in the Caribbean islands, one of the first things that they did was they started um, recording everything that they saw. And they were so taken aback by what they observed to be cannibalistic practices among in this Indian group called the Caniba or Kariba. And then from Kariba, it turned into Caniba. And so the word in Spanish and other European languages for a man-eater used to be anthropophage or prophage. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. Um, yeah. Over time the word for man-eater became cannibal from this disambiguation of the name of this Indian group. Indian because Columbus thought he landed in India. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get into When I say Indian, I feel like, should I say Indian? Should I say indigenous? I it's hard. I don't know what to say. And I wrote a whole thesis and I couldn't figure it out. So <laughs> if you know what the politically correct term is, I would love to hear it. So anyway, um, he appropriates images out of um, these travel narratives. A really popular guy, this dude, Theodore de Bry from the 16th century, Dutch printmaker, 
he was real interested in um, these stories that he heard from Brazil, where they observed, uh, they being Dutch colonizers, observing cannibalism among the Tupi of Brazil. And some of these images are just so insane. Ridiculous. Like people just cutting arms off and there's just <laughs> arms and they're just eating raw arms. Just like carnage. They just it's like, okay, if they were gonna eat people, you're telling me they just ate the raw arm? <laughs> they didn't even cook it, but they got fire like on, you know? Um just insanity. So modern fertility. Dang, I really wish I could sing because I wanted to follow that tune, but I cannot sing. I can't sing either, but I just, I like making little jingles. How about it, Nat? I mean, you probably thought about your next step in your career relationship, but what about planning for a baby or a metaphorical baby? Or or planning for not a baby. All of those totally reasonable <laughs> options. Exactly. As a woman, we kind of have to make a decision to either have or not have babies. And Modern Fertility is here to help with that decision making. Modern Fertility is a quick and easy hormone test you can take at home. So if you're thinking about trying for a baby or you want to know maybe what your options are for the future or or if you just want to know more information about kind of how all that works and your hormone levels and just, you know, generally be informed about your reproductive health, which is a great thing to be informed of, Modern Fertility is here to help. So I was able to take it and got my results back within like eight days pretty quick. It took me to the website where they had all my information, and I'm happy to say that nothing came back alarming. It was really easy to understand, and they use very simple language, but they also have options where you can read into the different hormones more closely. So if you do have something that maybe is slightly out of whack, you can read more about it and figure out you know, how to raise or lower or what that might mean for your day-to-day life it's really interesting or your fertility I guess I was kind of just looking at it for my day-to-day but um, speaking from experience like yeah I definitely feel a little more empowered just knowing that all of my hormones are working and doing what they're supposed to do yeah that is definitely good news also It is very affordable compared to similar testing. Um, Oftentimes that kind of testing can cost over $1,000. But with Modern Fertility, you can get the exact same information for just $159. That's such a good price. Yeah. Plus, you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse once you get your results. So you can get answers to questions that you might have, specific questions that are related to your results. And that is really valuable. Yeah, so it's just great information to have, very affordable price, very easy to do, comfort of your own home, don't even have to go to the doctor's office. And right now, Modern Fertility is offering Art History Babes listeners $20 off their test when you go to modernfertility.com slash historybabes. That's $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash historybabes modernfertility.com slash history babes modern fertility Shigoya loves to pick on Pete Wilson and he also made xenophobic nightmare in a foreign language that's another fun painting 
Um, your boy Pete Wilson is shown in the corner observing his own dismemberment, oh observing God. his entrails being poured into a cauldron. Um, so that's, maybe that's getting witchy. It's, that's that's yeah. fun. <laughs> it must be so fun to make these paintings. Um, so Shigoya is just really poking fun at what we um, think about this line between what's who's a savage, who is the civilized man. You know, is is Pete Wilson civilized? Is it is he civilized for being a xenophobe and wanting to deny people their right to speak their native language wherever they may live? So he is an artist who likes to shake things up. And he gets in trouble. <laughs> he gets in <laughs> trouble. Um, in 2004, Enrique Shigoya painted a 12-panel lithograph um, titled The Misadventures of the Romantic Cannibals. And it's a really fun work. And one of the panels depicts Jesus, as in Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, <laughs> Does Jesus? <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I, I want to get my story straight here. As in... Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yeah. So Jesus Christ, <laughs> Jesus Christ is um, shown. It's his head superimposed over an image of a woman from these dirty books. Who um, dirty books? So these books that used to be referred to as Tijuana Bibles. Oh, yay! Oh, we talked about, about we talked about Tijuana Bibles, and um, so these are just little porn comics. And in the, this particular image, it's the head of Jesus superimposed over a woman who is receiving oral sex. And Shigoya, Shigoya's whole reasoning behind this image was that he was making a statement about um, sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. Which sure. I think is um, a really important thing to yeah. address. And, yeah, um, word. He exhibited the work in Loveland, Colorado in 2010, and a woman from Montana drove all the way to Colorado to attack the work with a crowbar and uh, try to destroy it. And Shigoya has since gone to Colorado and sort of explained, like, hey, <laughs> this is what I was thinking. And, and um, <laughs> you know, and since but he's such a charming, cool guy that they were like, you know, yeah, like, it's, <laughs> it's fine. And the lady, I think, was prosecuted in 2010. So I want to see what she looks like. I'll show you a picture. That's also an episode we need to do about people who have attacked artworks. Yeah. Like it's totally so interesting. Just getting so mad with, by an image that you just <laughs> can't handle it. You have to destroy it. Um, when very interesting. When Natalie does her thesis episode, mm -hmm. she has a story about this. Yeah. Um, about this act, um, not this act, but the act. Another of another act of destruction. Yeah. Boom. Um, so, essentially, my argument about Shigoya, and it gets kind of crazy because, you know, when you're writing a thesis, you, halfway through, you're like, what am I talking about? But, um, <laughs> Shigoya's use of the motif of the cannibal in his work really serves a purpose to illustrate, essentially, how we as a culture consume images how we consume each other so whether it is 
us appropriating images, appropriating cultures that necessarily um, don't belong to one of us or all of us. So in the instance of colonization, many um, images get recycled and get worked into the repertoire of, in one particular example, um, images that may appear in um, popular Catholic iconography. So um, there was a great essay by Shrifra Goldman where she discusses that Mexican Catholicism is um, a lot bloodier than other Catholicism that is seen throughout the world. And this is a really interesting observation. And her thesis is essentially that this is because of an appropriation of bloody imagery that may have been popular among indigenous peoples scenes out of their um, codices. Will you put that on the sources? That's very interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, so this, she, there was a show, I forget what year, called Bleeding Heart that was in Los Angeles that was specifically images of Catholic imagery of just bloody Christ on the cross, bleeding hearts, like bleeding mm -hmm. Eucharist, yeah. and this whole um, sort of notion that that Mexican Catholicism is just a little bit more gruesome than other Catholicism <laughs> that we see throughout the world. Um, so that's a fascinating sort of uh, look at that. Also, Shigoya's use of the codex format in a lot of his work is um, his own brand of reappropriation, reappropriating the narrative formats of the Aztec in particular, although the Aztec weren't the only indigenous group to have made codices in Mesoamerica. In his essay that he wrote uh, in 2001 for a LACMA exhibition um, called The Road to Aztlan, Art from a Mythic Homeland, Shigoya wrote this really in-depth, amazing essay on this notion of destruction of knowledges. So um, something that has been termed epistemicide by um, post-colonial scholars. This, That's a dope word. I love yeah. that word, epistemicide. The just the 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 murder of knowledge, essentially. Um, Dude, that's intense. That's like <laughs> <laughs> I need to write that down. That's write that great. down. So not only did Spanish colonizers come over to Mesoamerica, and in the span of a hundred years, reduced the population from sixteen million, around sixteen million people, to somewhere around one point six million people. Oh my god! Um, through. <sighs> Um, you know, violence, uh, disease, etc. They also systemically wiped out their books, their manuscripts, um, everything that basically existed. And so the point of this is that throughout history, the winner writes history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so his work in a lot of ways illustrates this notion of how the more powerful consumes the weak, mm. how the more powerful consumes the weak and then regurgitates parts of what they consumed for their own purposes. Mm -hmm. And this is a cycle that occurs again and again throughout the history of mankind. And his work is working on so many levels and it's just crazy 
and his work makes me feel insane. And <laughs> that is why I think that he is an amazing artist. And I loved writing my thesis on him. And I just think that everyone should check out his work because I'm just barely hitting on the tip of the iceberg of these themes and these topics that he's working with and everything from destruction of native knowledges to the reappropriation of images, both European made and made by indigenous peoples. What does it mean to reappropriate images? Are we being responsible when we reappropriate images for contemporary issues? He is an artist that brings up a lot of questions. And I hope that you will be interested in checking out his work. And if you have any questions about Shigoya or cannibalism or codices, um, I would be happy to answer some of those because um, I am an expert now. <laughs> um, You're a master. I'm a master of cannibals and codices. So um, I can you put that on your CV, master of cannibals and codices? Because that's like the dopest title of all time. It's yeah. just really gratifying to be able to say that. <laughs> months ago, we were all like, this is never going to get done. <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. Um, so yeah, so that's Enrique Shigoya in a nutshell. That's cannibalism and uh, codices in a nutshell. A nutshell of it. Yeah, yeah. a nutshell. I want to just learn everything about cannibalism, to be honest. I and That'd be it, great. It's a really popular subject. It's it's really interesting. In the world of post-colonial study, cannibalism has gotten a lot of attention because as this sort of observed practice that happened in 15th, 16th century, it was the thing that people glommed onto. Like, this is the new world. They're cannibals. And so any travel narrative that exists um, from this time, almost 100% of the time will involve some form of man-eating representing the new world as we know it. It would be really cool if in the future we did maybe like a cannibal episode where each of us picked a very different representation of cannibalism oh. and came at it from maybe different parts of the yeah. world and stuff. I that would could be, love it. That'd, that'd be, be cool. super cool. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Uh, so that's an idea <clears throat> we're going to throw into the mix. Yeah. But yeah, it's such a fascinating topic. It's so interesting and so important and relevant right now in like, yeah, this world of post-colonial studies. Yeah. I got quiet there for a while, but it was because I was looking up stuff on Pete Wilson and apparently <laughs> he like recently spoke to the LA Times talking about how he would like push his bills all over again and like how he regrets <laughs> nothing. And, oh like, yeah. He's what a so son of a bitch. Just, he's so, so he's just alive like and an he's old crusty still, racist he's, dude. He, he is. He is he an looks, old crusty racist. He looks bad. Is he, he in look. Trump's cabinet? He sounds no, he like actually he'd be doesn't, in Trump's cabinet. Well, he doesn't like Trump, actually. Yeah, well, he preferred good. Trump <laughs> to Hillary, according to this article. But of course. Not, oh, well. Didn't like fully support Trump, but not to anyone's surprise, he supports the wall. And he was, uh, I think the quote was something along the lines of like, people keep talking about how expensive it'll be to put up a wall, but they're not thinking about how expensive it'll be to not put up a wall. And it's like, 
It won't. It won't be that expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it won't be that not, that expensive at all. Some <laughs> fantasy in his mind that Mexican immigrants are creating the most enormous deficit in our country, oh. and I don't know where he's getting oh. these. Facts, How about you look at like actual numbers and facts and like then realize that that's be racist not about it. <laughs> <laughs> that takes all the racist fun out oh, of it. Oh man, <laughs> Wilson's been calling for a wall for like twenty five years now and he can just shut the fuck up like i don't think pete wilson or donald trump have considered the fact that mexican immigrants trying to get into the united states have gotten really good at getting around walls so i'm just like take that bring it on fool. for real no like they'll waste an insane amount like one waste an insane amount of money two a wall would never be finished during Trump's term like it just wouldn't happen it would take years and years Walls take a long time they take a long yeah. time did we forget about the great wall of China <laughs> did that work did that keep out the Mongols what about the Berlin, Berlin wall, wall yeah, man. just learned about that that walls don't that work. was a way smaller wall and they still had issues walls with it. don't work It'd be a they waste of down. money. They calm down. And also, like, yeah. it's stupid. We're America. We're supposed to be the great melting pot experiment, whatever. Like, we shouldn't be trying to actively keep people out, especially people that are great benefits to our culture and our yeah. economy. Yeah. Like, it's just all bullshit. And fuck that old racist Pete Wilson. I'm just so sick of old, crusty racists. Yeah, like, man. Old, crusty racists need to get out. Characters. Yeah. Like, they're not... Jesus Christ. They're not that entertaining anymore. Yeah. Anyway, get out. Get oh, out, crusty so, racists. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I'm all heated now. Oof. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I mean, that's pretty typical for this podcast. I feel like we tend to get heated at some point or another. But then we can go we, see our lovely yeah. reviews and listeners <laughs> yeah. and pet a bunny and drink some wine. I can't, there we yeah, go. I, I can't wait to get, uh, to get happy. Do we, do you have any other ending thoughts or any other questions on this topic before we wrap up? You're so smart. You're so cool. Your topic is dope. I love you guys. It was dope. It is dope. It's forever it con- dope. It, it will continue to be dope. I'm just so happy that I got to write my thesis about uh, cannibalism. So Yeah, yeah it was fucking sick, man. You it wrote was so it, great. you finished it, and that's the best part. I just hope if I just want, I want questions. If you guys are listening, you know, shoot me some questions. I'm not done talking about cannibals. I'm I'm, I'm about to keep doing it. She's yeah. just getting started. Yeah. I'm going to write the book on cannibalism. I'm going to. It's going to be dope. Um, all right, quick listener mail before we wrap up. This is from our friend John, who has written to us before. Uh, hi, ladies. Second time writing. Firstly, thanks for keeping on with the podcast. It's nice to see the site growing. Always good to have a different and more social approach to art, which, as we all know, will or should be even more important now that society has more to say. Word. I feel like that really fits. That was a good way to, that was a good way to put that, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, like I feel like that really fits with what we were talking about, too. That was... Very nicely worded, John. I like that. Um, I'm going to quote you. (laughs) Secondly, you mentioned a while back that there were students who were looking for good general art history texts. Mm. Can I nominate what are you looking at 150 years of art history in the blink of an eye by the art critic and historian Will Gompertz, who has a fine pedigree. 
Love that Damn. that word. Yeah. Um, Pedigree. I don't think have any of us read that. I've never no, heard no, of it. No. I'm, I'm not familiar with though. But we will check it out. From the Impressionist onwards, he tackles all of the major European and American movements in a lively and humorous way. He also doffs his hat to the historical maleness of these movements, understanding that women are disgustingly underrepresented. Well, That's what I'm talking sweet. about. Oh, <laughs> Finally, could I please ask a favor? I usually listen to the podcast in my car, and sometimes the sound of your laughter, as lovely and infectious as it is, hurts my ears. Poor little lamb that I am. <laughs> is there any chance that when you edit, you could use a compressor? Would make the experience that much lovelier. You got me through my recuperation after major surgery. So again, thank you for for always, well, nearly always. Thanks, Donald, you asshole. <laughs> being happy and dedicated to your subject. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that kind of makes sense right now. So sweet. So, so sweet. How pertinent that we were just talking I know, about right? that crusty racist. He is a crusty racist. And he's like losing his mind too. But that's a that's, completely that's different topic. Sad. I know, right? Um. But yeah, such a sweet message. Um, as far as the sound goes, I do tend to compress a lot of the audio files and use like an equalizer. And I, since your email, I have been more cognizant of when the laughter is really high and yeah. trying to compress that even more. So hopefully that's helping. Um, I think our biggest issue with sound though is just the way we record. Like we don't have a legit sound yeah. set up, which we have discussed. Yeah. Um, we're doing this on the cheap we're because such a budget we're on an insane budget like literally as amazing as all the donations and stuff have been they we haven't even fully broke even so we can't really update our sound stuff yet right. especially considering we're all unemployed <laughs> if anybody right. wants to donate sound equipment oh, if there's yeah. anyone out there who's listening and just happens to have an old mixer lying around or anything i mean we will take your old stuff that you don't use anymore because I know that there's probably a bunch of you out there that at some point were like, I'm going to start a band or I'm going to start a podcast or I don't know what, but that would be amazing. I would love for us to be able to more efficiently record ourselves where when we're laughing, we're not splitting your ears open. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're just gonna we're gonna do our best, and we'd love a much even, much more even, you know, record. That would be really nice if like just the yeah. sound was like evened out. But like I said, we're all sharing a microphone, so we're doing the best yeah. that we can. Yeah, um, it's a bummer. Like Corey and I are really loud. People, we are, and Natalie and Ginny are very like smooth talkers, <laughs> and I just I don't know. I wish that. Um, we could just get this equipment thing rolling. Um, so we'll do our best. Yeah. So if you do have anything you could donate, please email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Obviously, donations to our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes definitely help. Like I said, at least we've broken even. Like, that's a big thing. We appreciate it. Yeah. We really do. So anything you can do to help, um, we're going to continue to learn all the tricks of the trade in terms of sound editing. Um, if you have any ideas or tricks, please send them our way. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, hopefully our sound has been a little more evened out recently. Thank you, John, for your adorable email. It's so sweet and thoughtful, and we're so glad we could, like, help your life in any way. That's, like, amazing. You're an angel baby. You really are. 
If you haven't already, like us on Facebook, Art History Babes. Follow us on Instagram, Art History at Art History Babes Podcast. Twitter, Art History Babes. Uh, iTunes reviews are big and important, so we love them. Go to Apple Podcasts, write us a review. We sincerely appreciate it. We read them and they make us feel happy. They do. They just fill us with joy. And um, our Tumblr, arthistorybabes.tumblr.com. Check out our website. You can click around on there. There are ads that yeah. if you are interested in them and you click on them, that is a good thing. <laughs> just pause Adblock for like a sec and just, you know, click on the, the, the ad. And, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. It's just a thing you can do. It's a thing you can do. We'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it vague. But it's a thing you can do. You can do that. <laughs> no. But thank you so much for listening to our second episode in the th- thesis series. You have two more coming at you still. Um, we'd really love to hear your comments and questions about these because, as we have stated, these are the subjects we dedicated our, our research to. So we're kind of experts on these things, and we want your thoughts and ideas. And, and we're not done. Yeah, exactly. Thing. You know, we all want to... Be scholarly people for the rest of our academic slash professional careers. And if there's a huge hole in our thinking and we love any kind of opposing or additional points of view. Definitely. So thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Ciao. Peace. From One of the panels depicts Jesus, as in Jesus Christ. I want to get my story straight. Geico presents, oh, not again, another voicemail from your roommate. Hey, man, so I was in a rush to get to work and I left the back door open. Could you shut it? I left it wide open. Uh, while you're there, could you also turn off the oven? And all of the burners. <laughs> My mom never let me use the oven. I wonder why. <laughs> the Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if it's your roommate's first time operating an oven. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.